And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror! <laughs> Hello, kitties! It's time for the penultimate interdimensional mind fuck, Phantasm 4. This time, our protagonist Mike has balls on the brain, and Reggie has boobs on the brain, but there's balls in the boobs. I know it's complicated, but stick with us, even though Rocky's nowhere to be found in this one. <sighs> Rocky. Hello, and welcome to the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. Number 50. 50. 50. Up to 50. And we're closing out. Well, actually, before we get going, I'm Chris Honeywell. We've got Mr. Sean Engel here. Lomi. The, the hair metal hero. I'm getting pretty good at killing you fuckers. And them Jackanetti boys, Luke and Jason Jackanetti. How are oh, my get- balls! <laughs> Careful what you look for. You just might find it. <laughs> and we are here to close out for now until Phantasm 5 Ravager comes out to close out the Phantasm franchise with Phantasm 4. Oblivion! Ha 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 ha! Sounds like a Transformer super robot. Merge to form Oblivion! That's Oblivion. Yeah. <laughs> Oblivion. Is that like Levion? It's like Levion, natural spring water. <laughs> That's Evian. I'm talking about Levion with the, with the chocolate diamonds. You know oh. chocolate diamonds are shitty? They're shitty diamonds. I was saying... <laughs> yeah, these diamonds have a bunch of inclusions, so we're going to call them chocolate diamonds. Chocolate. Sounds like a case of like constipation. Yeah, brewing some well, you chocolate know they... diamonds right now. Hey, in the immortal words of Ron White, diamonds that'll shut her up. I think they <laughs> should have named this movie the Reg Apocalypse. Well, yes, Apocalypse. Okay. I mean, what the? I mean, this has been an odd series of films. I think that's putting it mildly. It's been an odd series of films, despite having the same principles involved with each film and the same director and writer. But this is just an odd movie. Just there's, there's no other real word to describe it. It's just odd, I think. It is odd. Well, I think the funny part is uh, Coscarelli originally wanted to call the movie Phantasm Foever, P-H-O-R-E-W-E-R. He was uh, eating but... a lot of Vietnamese food around that time. Foever. Yeah. <laughs> Foever. But he felt it was too silly or cute, I should say, uh, that it wouldn't work. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I... <laughs> It's just funny as you think about it. Wasn't like, one of the other titles for it Phantasm Fantasy, like Fantasy Star for the Sega Genesis? Oh, I don't know. Was that this one or the other one? I know this I was thought, forever. Well, oh. no, I think Fantasy was one of them as well. So it's like, yeah. 
<laughs> it's like, well, the last one was what? Lord of the Dance, anyway. So, um, oh, Michael Flatley. <laughs> a battle of the clerical error. <laughs> See, I'm just glad that the guys from those interactive games like Phantasmagoria were able to get uh, their animation for their uh, title cards out because. The, the title card reminded me so much of those uh, Sierra online games that started out. It was just you can tell this movie is just really stretched budget wise because mm-hmm. not only is the filming just kind of random and a lot of the stuff is uh, clips from the first movie. You know, but they're uh, not really from the first movie. It, well, they're outtakes from the first movie. So that's that's kind of nice. But. The, the film is just really disjointed. The The previous films, they had that sort of weird nightmarish quality where you weren't really certain what was going on. It had that sort of dream sequence type feel. But this one was just randomness. It didn't have a narrative through line. It wasn't very cohesive. And it and it kind of feels... It, it's it, like it a kind collection of, diminishes of moments. It. It's a, yeah. it's a stopgap. You can definitely tell it's a stopgap. You, yeah. you can tell that Coscarelli has more that he wants to do, but he's like, I don't have the money to do it right now. Right. I just, I, but I have to get from there to there. It's, it's, and it, it, it's frustrating because there, there are parts of this film that work really well and are very interesting. And, and, some, and in certain ways, I'm thinking particularly like Mike in the Desert, it yeah. to me is is very interesting because it's a mystery because we don't know what's going on but neither does Mike, so it's you know it, it's we're we're both viewer and character are both kind of on that journey of discovery, but then we but it's it just it's just so inconsistent that we we go from there to you know the Reggie's misadventures in the Southwest and uh, you know the, the flashbacks <laughs> that's a good way to put it. You know, it's it's. Oh, it's, you mean it, the, it, it the flying like, balls like coming out of the tits? You know? Oh my God, my my note my note is spike sphere boobs. What the fuck? That's my that's my note here. <laughs> that, that's definitely <laughs> misadventures in the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, but it's so it's it it's it it almost feels like it's like two movies that neither of which were finished that we kind that Costco kind of glom together and well you know I got this archival footage and that we can use that and and and, and so it, it it really feels unfinished more than anything else you know it's uh, to, to give it a, an, an example there's there was a fourth. There was supposed to be a fourth Sleepaway Camp film called um, Sleepaway Camp for the Survivor. Yep. And they only ever filmed about half an hour of it. And if you got the Sleepaway Camp box set from Anchor Bay, they threw that in there as a bonus. Yeah, they and did. and it's and you can watch it and it sort of tells a story, but it's you can tell it's not done. Things it's not developed enough. Things don't resolve themselves. That's kind of how I feel here. Hero hit it on the head. It's a stopgap. If we look at Phantasm as Coscarelli's big narrative epic, this is the little novella that comes out while we're waiting for the big epic fight at the end. You know, this yeah. is a little. Hey guys, remember that this is still coming. We haven't abandoned it. Here's here's a little taste of some stuff that's going to come. This is going to answer some questions for you, yeah, but set some new stuff up. Okay. Sort of looking forward and looking back at the same time. Right. But it does. Wait, it loses that dream. The the dreamlike quality at least. On a whole, there's there's little parts in it that are complete. You know, I mean, yeah, ball boobs is is, is <laughs> that's a what the fuck you know yeah. could happen in the dream, and that's sort of a little repetition though from the last movie of like Reg's love affairs gone wrong, gone horribly, horribly, horribly. Hor- <laughs> he always meets some like really nice '80s hair girl, 
and it just it doesn't work out. But but at that time he looked so that scene kind of cracked me up because and it but it's not in a phantasm sort of way. It was there's a lot of more comedic stuff in here, but Reg was kind of showing his age and when he didn't have his hair and his ponytail and it was just sort of flying free and he was ranting about the tall man to to the girl and stuff. He looked like the uh, Filch from the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> like ranting and raving. And I'm like, this is pretty funny because he's like this crazy old guy and like weird jeans. And he's actually thinking that he's going to like have sex with this with this like you know, 22-year-old girl or whatever. And he gives a little S-smart, a uh, little Bruce Campbell S-smart speech and yeah, and, and stuff like that. So it's fun. And when he puts out, I love when he puts on the Ice Cream Man uniform. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just, I'm that's like, his, what is, why, why is, oh, he's in his Ice Cream Man uniform. Because that's what he is. Right, he's the Ice Cream Man. <laughs> that's when he's stopping by. But I would have been more interested in the in the back back to the future two story where Mike. okay, and here's something and I I shouldn't be saying in a phantasm movie, this didn't make sense. (laughs) But when Mike first goes back through time and comes out in Jebediah Morningside's parlor you know, and then runs into him and sees that he's like, "What? What's? Did you come through the tuning forks?" You know, and and it's pretty quick to suss out. Okay, this guy was—it's sort of a Lovecraftian thing where he taps into something that he shouldn't tap into, and he doesn't come back. But th- that would have been the perfect opportunity to say, "Hey, look, dude." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you really don't want to fuck around with this stuff because it you does can do not anything end well you for do. you. <laughs> You're not coming back if you go through that thing. That's all he has to do and to figure that out. Say, you know, we're we're actually fighting some sort of interdimensional creature that's inhabiting your body right now, so cut it out. <laughs> and, and you have the perfect opportunity to do that, but what does he do? He just sort of like does the like weird backup and gets the hell out of there. Well, he saw the the fortune teller there the too. The fortune so teller sure that, too, but that kind of threw him for a loop, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> doing her normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I will admit that having her back for the movie was a nice callback to the first movie because I don't think we've seen her in the prior two versions. No. No. So that was nice, but yeah, the the idea of the the origin of the tall man and what uh you know what developed him you know how he developed the spheres how that came into being his uh, relationship with the sort of tuning fork that puts you in different dimensions that was all really interesting but it was all not really focused on they there was a lot of ideas kind of just thrown throw like you know and mike making his own sphere there were all sorts of neat little ideas happening the whole desert full of tuning forks was a neat you know mm-hmm. a neat thing and- I think some of the portentous meetings between the tall man and Mike, it, it was getting a little old that they would just meet up and be like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, blah, blah, I'll kill myself. No, you won't, boy. Uh, see, I like all that. Uh, I like when the hero and the villain are. I, I, I do like that. Cordial. But I, it, you have to really. Cordial. You got to <laughs> spread it thin with, with the tall man, you know? 
you don't want to be bumping into him too much. And and it's funny, although it's one of my favorite scenes, there's, you know, it's kind of weird having a whole um, bit of dialogue, you know, with the tall man that isn't just like he's barking something at you or saying something cryptic. You know, they were actually having a back and forth when he was trying to get Mike to cut him down and and all that. But what I was really surprised with was I thought the footage and usually like cut scenes and stuff from movies like that are usually kind of beat up you know they'll they'll have to take them from work prints or stuff this stuff looked nice and new and shiny oh, yeah. it fit right along with the other footage and well, that, he probably had it all developed when he was cutting the original together and he probably just got chopped it away out. but yeah but a lot of it degrades it sometimes it may not be kept well and stuff it usually you know has some but this this looked beautiful and he did a really good job of incorporating it into the story yes i mean bob coscarelli is a good filmmaker i would say this is probably the weakest film of his that i've seen but at the same time it gave me a lot to, there was still a lot to chew on in it. And, and the, the way he incorporated that old footage did was actually, usually you would be like, oh, they're padding out the movie. But that was like some of the most intriguing stuff in it. And the ending, the ending of it was kind of neat, but a little, a little forced, but it was still kind of, kind of neat and a weird ending a very weird ending for a phantasm movie because it didn't end with somebody basically <laughs> screwed yeah yeah and, and and getting to the ending at the beginning of it now at the end of the last one the tall man tells reggie it's never over you right. know and here it's not now it's the final game and it's like well clearly it's not the final game How can it be the final game if it's never over and then his right. computer but, brain it, but even but even if but even if let's assume that that's a retcon and he actually said it's not it's now time for the final game that this doesn't resolve anything well he's so also unless... he's also a known liar because he's just like yeah cut me down and i'll go away and never come back and yeah so, so uh, the the only thing I can think of is that Coscarelli's playing the long game here. Yes, this is the final game because the end of this film is ambiguous, and I'm assuming will lead directly into Ravager. So one I'm one can assuming. assume that this is all part of the same game, so to speak. Yeah, I mean the only uh, shots of Reg from Ravager, he's wearing the ice cream man suit. <laughs> you know, and that's when he jumps into the tuning fork at the end. Yep, yep. He's wearing the suit. And I do got to say that the the the, uh, the sphere swarm looks fantastic it for did. such a low budget film. It did. This look really real sells good. it at the beginning. Well, the, a lot oh. of the uh, oh, sorry, a lot of the recall s- effects yeah, were done in camera. Uh, they the, always yeah. are, yeah. Yeah, good. And it just was they just didn't have money for it, but they were able to get those things done. From what I understand, a lot of the, I want to say the the sphere swarm was actually concocted by a fan. Yep. Who got in touch with them and said, "Hey, this is a way you can do this fairly cheap." Yep, and so that so that's how they were able to do it. It was just inge- no fan ingenuity pulling it together. That's yeah, pretty can, awesome. You can tell that uh, this this was really scraping by. Uh, you know, from what I from what I've heard, you know, the second one had like a budget of three million. The third one had like two and a half. This one was filmed for six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, now, and every penny's on the screen. 
Yeah. Every penny is young. Uh, they they never skimp on the practical explosions in these movies. No. They always no. look fucking amazing. They like to blow their shit up in these, don't they? They had that mm-hmm. that first explosion had a nice secondary explosion even inside the first one, little expansive one. I was just like, oh yeah, that's definitely pre CGI. <laughs> yeah. The uh, and during that one of the scenes, I'm not sure that one of the one of the burns. The the um, Bob Ivy who was the uh, stuntman he wound up burning his feet in the fire. Uh-huh. And when he's it's when he's on fire and he crumples. He's to the dressed ground. as the, the demon cop, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. He wound up burning his feet, and we, and we watched the special feature. And I don't know what DVD or online where we show it, but a DVD of it, it's in there, and they show him burning, and then they come rushing in to put him out. You know, poor guy. I mean, they're like, no, keep spraying him. No, no, keep spraying him. You know, I mean, it's all physical effects. You saw it's all on screen. It's everything. I- you know, every time I see someone walk out of a fire and fall down, I just go, I just know the cuts coming. And then as soon as that cut comes, I s- visualize all the people running in with fire extinguishers yeah. afterwards. Yeah, every time I see that who, slow motion walk out of a fire. Yeah, stuntmen who do full body burns, man, they earn their money. Yeah, that's that's that takes some balls, man. Yeah. Well, that's uh. But that scene um, is a good is is very indicative, I think, of what what Sean was saying earlier, is that that's a cool scene with the the evil cop and and uh, and Reggie. What does it really mean? It means hey, we filled fifteen minutes with the set piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't exactly. really mean much yeah. in the overall narrative, but mm-hmm. it's cool and, but it, and it gives us some great effects and... too. And so I mean, there's definitely he's world building and story building, and and when we talk about it, it it just seems to sound like there's and there is there's all this stuff going on it's just how it's put together the flow of it is not the same you know it's not that phantasm that phantasm flow p-l-o-w yeah i mean phantasm 2 had a lot of information and a lot of world building but it holds together because it has a stronger through line there there's one main story that we're telling here here we got really three stories because we've got Mike's story, we've got Reggie's story, and then we've got the story told in flashback, whether it's to the vintage uh, footage, the unused footage from the first, or the flashback stories of, of uh, you know, that the little bit we get of Jebediah Morningside and the stuff in the Civil War and stuff like that. So there, there's a lot going on from a narrative standpoint. Right. It just doesn't, it, it, it's almost as if Castro is not sure which one should be the A story. Right, and if you and again, in, in my opinion, the story of of Mike should be the A story yeah. here. There's a yeah. lot of mine there, and like you were saying, uh, Chris, if, if you could use that and tie it in with telling more about Jebediah Morningside and the origins of this, which would make sense to learn the origin and maybe learn a potential weakness or something to exploit before you go have the big fight at the end. You know, but and and we get that to a degree, but it. You know, it's, it's it was just disappointing to to end here for the time being on but this. That, this is the weakest one, I think. Well, that's the thing. It's like I, I Coscarelli never wants to put all the cards on the table with these. Yeah. He never. He never is. I, I mean, I hope that Ravager is the end game. I hope any any questions that need answering are answered, and whether the tall man kills the world or whether the heroes finally defeat him. Either one would be perfectly acceptable to me because by this point, you know, after almost forty years or whatever it I'd, is, 
you, you know, you gotta have you gotta have the the ending to this narrative. I'd I'd be happy for him to put a cap on it and then go on to do the second John dies at the end book. Oh my God! If they do, there are spiders this in this book. book. This book yeah, is full of spiders, and then just call it this movie is full of spiders. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah, I would be I would be yeah. very happy with that. I've been sort of I've been sort of hoping that it would turn into some sort of John dies at the end TV series like Beastmaster. <laughs> not like that. Beastmaster. No. Well, you know, and not in the style of Beastmaster, but the way that Beastmaster went from the screen to the. Except well, but with... you bringing up, you know, Don, John dies it in. I think that's one of the things that sort of belies the the kind of I don't want to say failure around this movie, but the the sort of diminishment around this movie is because Coscarelli has had the Phantasm franchise all to himself. He's been the one directing it. You know, he was the guy behind it. He's got the vision for it. And I think John Dies at the End was such a, a more engaging movie, even though it was filmed much longer after this, was because he brought in new blood. It was it was written by a different person, and uh, it was just Coscarelli coming in to direct it. Right. I think I think because this film has been drawn out over such a long period of time, that it, it just came to a point where it really just kind of stalled. I'm hoping that like like Hero has said that when we get to Ravager, we're going to get all of it wrapped up either in a way that, you know, satisfies the hero's ending or satisfies the villain's ending. But right now, this one is just, uh, just a stopgap, like hero said as well. And it's, it's not an enjoyable one. It's not as enjoyable as the previous movies. No, it's, it's certainly not, but I mean, it's, it's only 90 minutes. And I, I having that tethered to the original footage, goes a long way with me personally and the world building that they do goes a long way with me. I mean, it's 90 minutes. It could have been an hour. Well, like, like what they actually yeah. accomplished with this, but it's, I mean, I'm sure he was able to get 650 grand together and it's like, all right, I got to get the band back together. Cause I don't know when I'm going to be able to do it again. And it, I mean, I kind of admire that. Well, it reminds me, it reminds me of the, um, the Hobbit film before the Hobbit films came out when you and I were talking about it, hero, and I was very skeptical, and you were basically like, ah, you know, I'm happy to spend any amount of time in that world with yeah. any excuse. And I'm sort of that way with Phantasm. Like, okay, I'm I'm willing to spend any kind of time with these characters in this world. Um, but this was definitely the lesser entry into the whole saga. You know, it was it was fun to watch, but it didn't have that special magic no. that that like it, it doesn't it doesn't move the way the other ones yeah do. i mean when you start cutting budgets in half and less than half each movie by the time you get to this with which has been the story wise it's been escalating <laughs> and you know demanding demanding more balls and having more you know complicated but where balls have eaten their way through people it's just like how do you how do you pull that off with you know just a little more than half a million dollars I mean I wonder if you don't. narratively though he was thinking this is the calm before the storm Yeah I well, you yeah, know, I got well, I got to lay I got to start laying the the, the cards out on well, the table Well you you you're talking Bob Coscarelli he's a low budget filmmaker Don Coscarelli or Bob, what did I say Bob You called him Bob before too 
Bob up and bite my ass. Uh, Don, yeah, Don Coscarelli. Yes, <laughs> it's Bob Coscarelli. It's his his long lost cousin. I'm thinking Bob Dabalina from the Monkeys album. <laughs> I, I'm so what? happy that everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. Zilch, China Clipper calling Alameda. China Clipper calling Alameda. Zilch, China Clipper calling Alameda. Self defense. Never mind the furthermore, the plea self defense. Never mind the furthermore, the plea self defense. It is of my opinion that the people are intending. It is of my opinion. But he's a he's he's anyway. He's kind of from the. He's kind of from that Sam Raimi school and yeah. it, it, even more low. I mean, everything he's done has been pretty, you know, relatively low budget. And uh, so he knows how to get as much out of that money as he can. But he, you know, he must have known he was severely limited. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't say I wish... I, I do I can say I wish he could have done better, but man, it would have been a real challenge because it's like, yeah, he could have spent more time writing that costs money, you know. Yeah. The uh in in ninety eight, right after this case came out, what, ninety seven, right? Um, he did an interview and he said that he did Phantasm Four uh, and he filmed it and it and his quote was just to make money out of the series. Oh. And as as you look at it, I mean, you look at a, a, the the smallest budget. I mean, the original budget for the the the, the original Phantasm was three hundred thousand dollars, but it was not. That's not nineteen ninety seven dollars, right? You know, so this is by far the smallest budget they've had. And um, even though they had the, in the smallest budgets there, when you look at the effects, the, they're obviously the best they could do. They're not looking at going, wow, they're they're obscenely lacking compared to other right. the other films. It's just that it's it's disjoint and 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 being disjoint is I think what takes some of the enjoyment away. Uh, the problem was uh, I wouldn't say a problem, but after Phantasm three, there was it was called Phantasm nineteen ninety nine A D, which was um, Roger Avery, uh, um, who's a was a real hardcore fan of the series, wrote the screenplay, um, and it was actually starting to get uh, they had. Um, it was set in the post-apocalyptic future. They had Bruce Campbell signed on to co-star. Oh, jeez. Um, not kidding. They had a yep. budget. Supposedly, they, they they couldn't get the budget together. They were looking at about $10 million. So what happened was uh, Coscarelli uh, wound up having to write and direct the fourth installment as a precursor to that project. That project, um, and he retitled it Phantasm tw- uh, 2012 AD. So And then it became known as Phantasm's End. So I'm wondering if that really is what we're seeing here is they have this idea. They started working on this. They said, hey, this has got some pieces that are good. And, they, and some of those pieces wind up in this movie, uh, pieces that got taken out of there and they're moved in. But because um, the idea is that America is now down to being three states. There's New York and there's California. And the middle is the plague zone. That could be totally what Ravager is. And if it's that's looking what, like it. But I'm saying, but if that's what Ravager is, that's then this like makes sense. Judge Dredd style. Yeah, but hmm. I'm saying, but but that makes sense. You had this as being that was going to be number four, the end of it, right? That was going to be Ravager, the end, or Phantasm end, or whatever you call it. And then they couldn't get the money together, so he said, "Well, I don't want to not make the movie. Let's make some money off of this." Is what he said in his interview. 
He makes this movie. They make whatever they're going to make on it. I don't know what the profits were. I don't have that in front of me. Um, the whole point is then they could then go about making the movie. Now, this is 97, and we're talking now, you know, how many years later? 18 almost, years later. Yeah, it's almost yeah. 20 years later this movie's coming out. And then from what what we've seen of Ravenger, and again, we haven't seen a ton, but what we've seen of Ravenger, it sounds a lot like that movie, which was Phantasm yeah. 1999 AD. And even that title takes you to being Judge Dredd. Because wasn't that wasn't that what uh, what the heck's what's two thousand AD two thousand AD yeah thank you thank you yeah doesn't that that does feel like that and if that's the case then Ravenger I mean sometimes when you see things you have to see what it's leading to to truly appreciate how it got you there you that makes sense like yeah it, it's 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 basically how it's and sometimes I'll have my students will say to me I don't understand what's going on. I'm like well when we get there you will totally appreciate this. So who knows? Maybe in Ravenger, you're like, holy shit, that did tie to that. And that's what this is going. This was, you know, all those little things that now make this, which seems disjoint now, really just part of the bigger overall picture. Well, they've had more time to work on the writing aspect of it anyway. I don't know well, how long production was on it, but 18 it years gives you secret, time to tweak apparently. on it, you know, on the story. Yeah, well, it's like it's like every time they would get a little bit of money. Let's film a little more. And let's film a little more. <laughs> yeah, why not? I well, mean, you gotta and you gotta do it while while Angus Scrim is still alive, man. Yeah, so, I mean, this has to be the last one because yeah, dude, give the guy yeah. a break. Yeah, Coscarelli seems to be very pragmatic, and he he's he's obviously very intelligent, so and self aware. So I'm imagining like him looking at at four. He he realizes the shortcomings of it, and there probably wouldn't be a five unless he had some sort of idea what he wanted to do with it. You know, had some sort of plan. Well, he's not directing it either. He's got another. Yeah, somebody else is directing. Another it, guy it's... directing it, but it's his it's his story and script. So, I'm interested, but I, I'm I'm also like the huge end of the world scenario i'm imagining it, it it can't have a very big budget you know well if everybody's dead it doesn't need to have a big budget <laughs> yeah, CGI, and cgi is cheap now yeah that's, that's part true. of it you can do more that's with, true with, with, with cheap cgi than you could yeah. do with physical effects yeah. even back so, then you but i'm the thinking like actors. a john dies at the end sort of budget probably a little less than john dies at the end because they won't have like paul giametti in it and stuff like that but i don't know i'm 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 cautiously optimistic i'm i'm always optimistic about coscarelli's movies and lately he's had a really good run you know with oh yeah like bubba hotep and john dies at the end are two like really well it's almost like he i'm trying to remember the name of the director now he did uh john sales i think He's he's sort of going into his John Sayles era of low budget filmmaking, where he's like, "I'm going to do this with a basic, with a really good script in mind," and he's really gotten a lot better with directing actors. And when he gets like someone like Bruce Campbell, boy, you know, Bubba Hotep, that I I seriously would have like nominated Bruce Campbell for best actor. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. He did a really 
he, you know, it wasn't just like by that time, the whole Elvis thing was so played out, you know, yeah. Elvis is still alive sort of thing was just played out. And I was sick of hearing it as a sort of like the post hip sort of thing. And it's like, oh, okay, a movie with Elvis, another movie with Elvis in it and stuff. But he, he put so much pathos into it and and that just that he, he played it straight and and as a sad, broken, old Elvis, you know, yeah. wistfully. I, 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 movie makes me cry, man. You know, I mean, and, and Ossie Davis is awesome in that. Movie. Oh, it's I'm Ossie Davis. Of sand here. <laughs> Sadly, yeah, just, yeah, let me ask you something. Marilyn Monroe, how was she? Wow. <laughs> Were you saying, Sean, that was his last was, movie, right? I was going to say, yeah, that was that was one of his last roles as well. You know, just a, a brilliant role from him. Yeah. And I think I think that's what I think that's what made those films, both Bubba Hotep and John Dies at the End, like I said, uh, superior to this film because he had a different writer, he had a different idea behind this. I don't know. I'm hoping that now Coscarelli knows that Phantasm Ravager is going to be his end game, that he's going to put more eff- more emphasis on it and more effort into it, because yeah. this one felt very lackluster. It felt like it was just trying to, to hold a whole. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe sort of brushed, but he's just trying to hold the franchise together to say, I'm going to put another one out. So people at least remember that this franchise is here. I'm working towards an end game. And now that I think that he has an end game, he can try and get more money into it. CGI can work a little better. Now we saw that shot of the giant uh, silver spear, which looked awesome in that trailer. So, it's just it's just the fact that this one is kind of, as we've said before, a stopgap, a middle part uh, that's just well, there to sort the of last keep one reminded. The video. Yes, I, yeah. I don't think it's got it's I got. Think um, direct video, yeah. So this this is the one that actually MGM feels direct video. It's got you know it's got Orion and MGM behind it, sort of funding it or at least uh, being the releasing house. But I would be surprised that, that this got play in any theaters right yeah well maybe one or two for some technical reason or something you know but yeah yeah this this is the one that feels like a direct it feels like yeah he does and back to jason's um where he quoted him saying you know he did it for the money it's just got that feel of where he's doesn't care quite as much with this one or doesn't have time to care or whatever, had his mind because, on something else, but had to get this out, you know. Yeah, like I said, which is disappointing because Phantasm is his baby. It's the it's the yeah. movie that basically made him. Yeah. And that he's kind of just turned in a sort of lackluster effort for this. But you know, I, movie, yeah, but, but yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think I think you guys are on the right track. I think if if Ravager comes in and picks up right where we we get resolution to this plot in Ravager, and then Ravager is the the, the the you know the, the the like I've been saying the big fight at the end or like Sean's been saying the end game and it's the the finale you know and all of it ties together I think then uh, like Hero was saying if this truly is just the calm before the storm it, it could probably use with a rewatch and a, a reevaluation yeah as it stands if Ravager kind of just skirts by this 
that's gonna not do this film any favors. You right, know? right. Yeah, the, definitely. This is gonna. This movie's gonna gonna warrant a rewatch after Ravager. Um, but I mean, it's it's it, that that's the thing though. I mean, there there was enough interesting bits in this between, like I said, the uh, you know the the various spills and chills with Reggie. And and then all the the weird stuff going on with Mike that it kept my interest and I, I can't say that I was you know like like here is it it's only ninety minutes so it moves along pretty briskly so it, it's it's worth watching especially if you've been watching the others with us as we've been working through them but it it just doesn't hold up to the the creepiness of one or the just balls to the wall eightiesness of two especially yeah you know so it's I mean it's it's okay but I wouldn't you know this is this is one that. I, I remember, and, and Jay, maybe you can back me up on this. It used to be on Sci-Fi Channel a lot, like on oh, Saturdays. Yeah. You know, yeah. is when the when when you know with Sci-Fi, what they'll do is, and and I'm saying this like I'm the only person who's ever figured this out. If they have their original movie on at eight o'clock on Saturday, they'll show movies all day Saturday, right? And this would be one of those ones on about two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, kind of thing. Uh, so you know, and and, and for that. For what it is, it, it's worth watching. But yeah, it is it is a bit of a letdown after the the quality that we've gotten. Even three, which to me I, I thought was a, a step down in quality, three held together because it had a a solid story through the whole thing that we yeah. were following, and we were able to uh, you know get ourselves involved a bit yeah. with the characters. Some of us more than others in Honeywell's case, you know. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Parts of the the stuff with Reggie. Um, which, you know, I mean, it seemed like that was just kind of not, I shouldn't say the outtakes from three, but kind of like it was, you know, he was on the road in three also. And it kind of just was like, Hey, remember that stuff? Here's some more of that stuff, you know? So, yeah. but I mean, to me though, I, those scenes, I, and the stuff with Mike is important, but the stuff with Reggie to me is my favorite parts of this movie. Cause it's just like, you know, he's not going to score with her. And then when he looks <laughs> over and then her boobs are moving and I'm like, because the first time, I mean, I had never, I had, I mean, I'd seen this, but I'd had, you know, a long time ago. But I was like, oh, okay, like he's looking to score with this chick. It's not going to happen. Oh wait, her boobs are moving. Why are her boobs moving? You know, kind of thing. And it's just, it's just funny when he pulls the shirt back and the two metal spears that are, and I'm like, oh geez, like it's just, it's you know, I mean, it's but it's, it's <laughs> it doesn't quite fit really. But at least those are enjoyable parts. Just um, like just like Reggie getting the when, the when the demon cups spits the stuff in his mouth. Yeah, it's like of course that happens to Reggie. Of course, well, everything that happens, happens to Reggie. Hang on, you ready for this? They had to shoot that scene. It's the yellow drool gunk stuff. Five times they shot that scene to get it right. <laughs> that's like that's like the bookcase in Evil Dead. Well, that is uh, 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 Bruce Campbell has the absolute best look on his face. When you know they dropped it on him a couple of times because there's not all the books anymore in this case, he's just like, it's like, uh, uh, what's his face? Um, Arsenio Hall from Amazon Women on the Moon. When, the, when he punches out of the bookcase, like you look at his face, you're like, oh, God. You know? <laughs> so, you know, you know that Reggie's sitting there and they're like, hey, let me vomit in your mouth again. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh, God. And I do like the bit when he, he at first, the, when he first runs across uh, Jennifer. Not yeah. Jennifer. Yeah, the chick. He he he. He ignores her. He goes away from her. So he's like, "Hey, maybe Reggie's learning his lesson." Then he runs into her again, and her car crashes. It's like, "Yeah, he hasn't learned a damn thing." Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nope. well, I love when the car blows up. The, huh? The car didn't blow. I thought it only happened in movies. Yeah. 
they blew the shit out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they, like I said, the explosions in these movies are phenomenal. Yeah. Now, They're I do like... want to ask that question. Talk about explosions. Okay, so at the end of it, you know, Mike lures a tall man out into Death Valley, and he has the sphere that he built from parts you can find around the house. Today, we're going to make plutonium with common household items. Thank you. Thank you, Emo Phillips. <laughs> no, that's not Emo Phillips. No, that was a soap opera actor. Emo Phillips was using the table saw, but uh, oh dear. <laughs> is my face red? So okay, so he lures him out there and he uses the uh, the sphere that he made from common household items, and 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 that's the distraction, and he makes the like interdimensional bomb with the car. Right. Okay, now they've already quote unquote I'm doing air quotes up to the mic killed the tall man before, and he immediately comes through the gate again with a new body. Why was this going to be different? Uh, ever? Why is it ever dropped rocks on him, hung him overnight? You know, it's just. But it's like, why would we? If even if okay, fine. Understanding that it's part of the story engine for Phantasm that the tall man has to come back. But why we we at least need to we the audience need to know why this should be different. One line of what or two lines? What what the hell is that, Mike? Oh, I made an interdimensional bomb. This will blow his ass to fifteen dimensions. You know, something like that. Because now it just looks like they're trying to blow him up. It's like when in doubt, blow that shit up. Buys you know? some time, I guess. Well, see, yeah, buys him about buys him about twelve seconds before the new <laughs> tall man shows up and rips the sphere out of Mike's head. <laughs> You guys didn't like the end of the, the original end of what was that supposed to be three when they put him in the canister and they bury him in the Antarctic with a sign over it. The hero has the tall man. Uh huh. Blowing him up doesn't seem so bad now. <laughs> <laughs> they should have buried him in the salt flats next to the warlock. Oh, yeah, Jesus well, Christ. Oh, wow. Hey, I hope should be buried next to Julian Sands. I love Warlock. That movie is freaking awesome. Julian Sands played the Phantom of the Opera in um, Argento's, Argento's Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I couldn't even make it through that. Right. Oh, that's well, no. right. But he is the prettiest Phantom of the Opera ever. No, that would be so, Michael Crawford. No, no. Even Crawford doesn't look. Julian Sands. No, because Julian Sands is not even, he's not even scarred up. At all. At all. Yeah. Ever. Crawford at least has the decency to wear some makeup. Yeah. Okay, and is it me, or should Julian Sands have played um, Malfoy's dad in the Harry Potter? <laughs> oh, that's you know, yeah. if they couldn't get Jason Isaacs, then that would be perfectly acceptable. So God look, looks like he's trying to be Julian Sands from Warlock, so just why not just call, go all out? I mean, cheese and rice. You got enough money, go find him. And it I mean, wasn't working, doing much. You know, you could have done he, he, didn't, he didn't do Warlock 3. Clearly, he's getting picky. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> Warlock 3. <laughs> That's like, what's his face? Didn't do like the other, some of the other Wishmasters. Uh, he always got to do his voice. A guy. He's like, he's not going to play it. He's just below him. <laughs> what's, yeah, uh, the guy that always plays Russians. What's his name? Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, on Law and Order SVU every once in a while as a Russian guy. He was, he was, he played a Russian guy on Lost. And I didn't watch Lost. I yeah, fuck lost. Yeah, no matter how much like my dad's like, you got to watch this show, Dad. I'm not Andrew watching this Divoff. show. Why couldn't I think of that? Andrew Divoff is oh, is yeah, the right, master. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. now, Andrew uh, Divoff never been in a Phantasm movie. I will no. say that. Uh, maybe he's, maybe he's in Ravager. He could be. He was the bad guy in Air Force One. <laughs> a couple pieces of trivia here for you. Andrew Divoff was. Yes. Andrew Divoff was what the bad. He was Boris in Air Force One. Yeah. Yes. Well, he is okay. Boris. <laughs> yes, yes, it's good, yes. 
So the uh, the dagger that they use in the film is the original prop from the uh, 79 movie. Wow. Yeah, which is crazy because you know that's just sitting in Coscarelli's house. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we need a dagger. Oh, shit, I have this thing. Oh, yeah, he probably dug it out of a drawer, too, you know. I've been opening my mail with it for 30-something years. <laughs> 20 years. The, the, the dwarf that gets shot in the face with the handgun by Reggie was played by a very young Wendy Coscarelli. His uh, that's, that's his daughter. I got to come up with. I have some cool. I just went and got some info. This trivia. Uh, where the hell is it? Um, in the sequence where Mike and Reggie and Jody are playing the guitar and sitting on the hood of the car, it's the same actors. It's um, uh, A. Michael Baldwin, Reggie Bannister, and Billy uh, Thornburn are actually the ones playing the parts. No younger actors were used. Yeah, well, they don't look younger. No, I know. <laughs> what I'm saying is. They think they're supposed to be younger. No, I think that was when when they're thinking about what if the tall man never came around. Okay, uh, that's well, how I. That's took sort it. of how I thought it was. What they were trying to say there It was like this yeah, is the happy be... life they would have led. Yeah, they all would have been drinking shitty beer on the hood of a car, listening to an unplugged electric guitar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, isn't that all our dream? <laughs> yes. Okay, the um, oh, what the hell is it? Okay, this is the only movie in the Phantasm series to the to date not to end with a character being pulled through a uh, glass. That's true. true. Yes. Um, and then uh, where's the Civil War one? I got a Civil War one too. Okay. Oh, uh, the Civil War reenactment group that was used. Uh, uh, they instead of getting uh, they they they, they had asked for a two hundred dollar donation. Um. So to their to their uh, their you know their reenactment yeah and they said that that's what they would take as payment to be in the movie yeah uh, those yeah. dudes will do that for fun I mean I, I live in South Carolina say, yeah. man that's, any, that's any no excuse j- to get suited up man that's no that's no joke down here man yeah. oh I guess it'll be in the picture mm. and uh, the other title Luke was thinking of the movie's working title was actually Phantasm Four Infinity and then they changed it to Oblivion in post production not as good as Foe ever. Forever, forever. Sounds like my daughter. Sounds like a song. We go to Faux Noodleville. We eat. We eat Phantasm forever. We got Faux Noodle. It good. That's so bad, dude. I only say that because that's what the gal at Faux Noodleville sounds like when we go get Faux for lunch. That's. We have lost the Asian audience. We can only hope we can. Do we have any? Don't worry, don't worry. Luke will get them back on his podcast. (laughs) Oh, that's true. Yeah, Luke. They don't listen to this podcast. They listen to Luke's other podcast. (laughs) Um. Okay, and then the last one I got here. Um. But you have two. Okay, so um, Don Coscarelli's son Andy, as well as the fans Tom uh, Mecklen, and then Roger Avery, who's the one who wrote the other script. Have cameos in the Civil War flashback. Um, uh, okay. Uh, Anger Scrim was suffering from laryngitis during the filming of the opening scene. That's why his, uh, his usually deep tall man voice sounds more like Orson Welles. He's <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Reggie Bannister's future wife, Gigi Fa- uh, Fast Elk Porter, worked on the production with the gory special. So, that's his wife is doing the gory effects. So I can only imagine that when he's getting the vomit into his mouth, that it might have been her saying, no, no, let's shoot that scene again. 
What? That's how they got five takes. Yeah. 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 Your do wife you saying. Do you, do you think he said afterwards, like, "Are right, you taking it in the mouth about five times?" I was just, oh! just going to say the tables oh, oh, going to turn later I'm that night. Use your mouth as a kiddie pool. Oh. oh. <laughs> wow. Hopefully, it didn't look like banana cream pie. No. Uh, no. The pencil checked. You gotta, yeah. That's that's not good. That's, that's not good. That's that's, that's that's called discharge. <laughs> <laughs> I have a oh. thick milky discharge. Oh my God! Where have we gone? Where... <laughs> all right. Uh, well, it's not all oblivion, baby. It's oblivion. Oblivion. <laughs> oblivion. If you're Mike Tyson. Oblivion. I, uh, I will with oblivion. I will, I will beat him to the death. I will. No, no, that's that's. That's uh, that's uh, Ken, uh, Kenny Shamrock. I will beat him into a living death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most dangerous so, man alive. Um, like, save, save all that shit for your wrestling podcast. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, I guess we've we've come to the end. <laughs> that was just like yeah. That was just like a character in Trailer Park Boys who goes, "You're the stupidest people on the planet of the Earth." <laughs> Do you know the Planet of the Apes? The planet or the movie? The multi-million dollar musical. Uh, well, you know, I don't think we if if we didn't know Ravager was coming, I don't think we'd be so lighthearted. If no, we were thinking yeah. that this might no, be the not. last entry, we might be kind of more. This might have been a more somber show or disappointed show, but yeah, I think knowing that you know what what from all intents and purposes that we've seen looks like the big blow off is coming. Mm-hmm. I think we're being a little more forgiving than we might yeah. be. Like, yeah. yeah. Which to... is which is which is fine. I mean, that's you know. But we it, just it, know it's, it's not over. It's never over. Never over. Never over. It's never over. It's never over. I got my buddy's guts here to try to put his guts back in his. You got no legs. You drop first blood. I drop first blood. You do that. You try to go through down. Sorry. Did this become the over the top podcast? <laughs> oh, whoa! Hey, hey. Over the top. Okay, first of all, that was not from over the top. Well, right okay. now, I think the listeners are starting to figure out where the hell do we go to here from here because we've we've killed Friday the Thirteenth and now Phantasm and and there's just sort of this space open, but we have plans. We have plans. Over the top plans. plans. And I. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is is everyone and and I say everyone I'm 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 gonna steal a bit from Andy and Michael. All fourteen of our listeners have been clamoring. Oh, you guys gotta do Nightmare on Elm Street. You guys gotta do Nightmare on Elm Street. And and I think that we need to we need to do something a little bit different. Take a moment for us, if you will. Cleanse our palates. We must please ourselves before we can please you. Oh, we know about that. Yeah, (laughs) that discharge. I'll eat. Again, as long as it's not stringy. Yo. So. Show her the ropes, man. Show her the ropes. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you gotta you gotta look at your dehydration levels if it's coming out like that. All I drink yeah. is water. I am the uh. thing from dehydrated. <laughs> anyway. So but, dehydration. If that's not enough of a hint of what we're covering next, I mean we can't I mean I don't know what the hell else we could do at this point. <laughs> well, why don't we tell them what we're gonna do? Vaguely. <laughs> well, I think, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna be servicing ourselves. Yes. So, okay. We're, we're each gonna we're... choose a movie, a horror movie that we've been wanting to do that maybe hasn't fit into a category. 
the, the occupies a special place in our black little hearts. Bless. It's like it's like nine o'clock at the nightclub. It is freak's choice right yep. now. Yep. Yeah, so freak's choice. Yes. Five months. It's sort of like it's sort of like when Kiss did solo albums, except <laughs> with five of them. So it's a bonus. And it and it might not suck as bad. Oh, it definitely won't. <laughs> uh, the, the Ace Frehley one's pretty good. Rub Ace Frehley. Uh, according to Paul Stanley, Ace Frehley can't play a guitar and has no talent. Where's Scott Rifon when we need it? Because he would be just jumping down our throats with Kiss information right oh, now. Oh yeah, I no, I, I just, I had this weird thing where I was fascinated with finding videos of rock stars freaking out about people pointing laser pointers at them, mm. which led to all these videos where someone has taken um, Kiss audio, audio book. Uh, yeah, exactly. Has taken Kiss audio book, um, you know, um, readings by the original members and cut them up into all the parts where they just talk shit about each other. <laughs> so, like, one is just Paul's, you know, 48 minutes of Paul Stanley talking shit about Ace Freely and Peter Chris, you know, and and another one of, you know, Gene Simmons talking... We have more money than God. <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and I just started get, getting hooked into listening to him. They were pure negativity, you know, and and it was awesome. <laughs> and I'm sure they were slightly out of context because it was just cut sections yeah. out of, you know, books about Kiss. So, if I was that rich, uh, that famous, and that frequently laid, you would never hear me complain about anything. About anything, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I I wasn't 100 percent sure where you're going with that. I was thinking like, is this going to be like something along the lines of like when Smash Mouth last week got pelted with bread? And because he frees to sing All Star, then the crowd sang it and whatever. Like, no one heard about that, just me. You throw one more piece of shit on fucking stage, I'm gonna come find your ass, I'm gonna beat your ass, wherever the fuck you are out there, okay? You wanna be a badass? Come up here, come on. Walk your badass up here, come on. Come on stage. Come on stage, badass, come on. Come on stage. Bring your ass on stage, whoever's throwing shit at me. I will tell you right now, I will beat the fuck out of you. Okay? You're a pussy punk bitch. Okay? You're ruining the show for thousands of people right now. Because I'm gonna walk on stage, and guess what? You're paying for it, motherfucker, okay? Come on, somebody throw one more thing at me right now, and I'm gonna find you out. Okay. okay. I don't, I'm not really up on my uh, Smash oh, no. News. Oh, ne neither am I. It was on uh, the the morning show I listen to is uh, Opie and Jim. Well, uh, that's and terrestrial radio because it's yeah. sucks. Well, I don't. That's not terrestrial radio. It's satellite. Um, so that's the. Wow. Anyway, the whole point is they were. T that was yeah. And he's talking about this. I'm like, well, he's talking about Kiss and the solo stuff. I'm like, can't be as bad as they were at a at a food festival. Smash Mouth at a food festival and got pelted with bread. 
from the audience. Because they were going, play your only song. They're throwing bread at them? That's like... In the 70s, they would have been throwing, like, frozen heads of cabbage and shit at them. I know. want to hear All-Star just grab any movie from, like, 1997 to that's like that. That's like in uh, when when Bachman Turner Overdrive was on the, the the Simpsons. It's like we'd like to play a song from our new album. Shut up! Play, play, take care of business. No, go to the chorus right now. Work it overtime. <laughs> <laughs> Work it overtime. <laughs> I just it really That's BTO. They were they were Canada's answer to ELP. <laughs> they had a big hit with TCB. <laughs> Dad, what the hell are you talking about? That was the way we talked in the seventies. We didn't have a moment to spare. <laughs> <laughs> and my and my favorite laser pointer rock star moment was Megadeth at the second or the 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 second uh, like nineties Woodstock. When oh the guy God. pointed the laser pointer yes. at Dave Mustaine. Oh, yeah. Dave called, hey, what? <laughs> he calls him out for like 10 minutes. On yeah, yeah, he just can't let it go. I it's like, it's the, like really? Something about gonna... the laser pointers that really pisses off those rock stars and they and, and can't let it go. Gonna, you're going to pick on a guy who's already kind of borderline anyway with Dave Mustaine. And you know right. he loves to rant and hear his own voice. Right. You're no. going to give him an opening <laughs> when they're on the main stage. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's just that uh, laser pointers, you know, laser pointers and cats and laser pointers and rock stars, the exact yeah. opposite reaction. <sighs> but equally entertaining. Rock <laughs> I will spend hours watching both of the both of them oh happen. My, oh, my God. That's like that one uh, Guns N' Roses best of live album where they chose to leave in the five minutes of Axel telling everybody to take a step backwards. Yes. Always excited. Everybody back up. Everybody's like you could cut to you've cut together shows to make this album. You left that in. Yeah. Well, I mean back. that's the authentic Axel right there. That's the way of security. I'm going home. <laughs> there's that's a live the king. There's GNR a live experience. <laughs> still my favorite part, Axel, when when he jumps into it, he goes, That guy right there with the cat right there, and he jumps in and punches yep. the guy. There's a like, there's a Live King Crimson album where Robert Fripp stops the show and like refuses to go on until the guy sends his camera up to the stage so they can delete the pictures from it. <laughs> and there's about five minutes of him just going, We're not gonna do the show unless it bring the camera to the stage. Bring and you see oh that's just that's just ridiculous. <laughs> Believe we'll that in. That's like taking hat and, and chair out of the dictionary. I can't say anything. I'm the guy who recorded myself pooping in a pizza bathroom. <laughs> so, for a podcast. You're not gonna let that go. You're gonna every every opportunity to mention. That I created Molestabot. I've got I, I've got yeah I've I've mentioned my poop about five times in the last five podcasts. I'm very proud of myself for mentioning it and for the uh -oh. poop. 
Oh, it well, was a big poop. We'll cut. Well, I'll, well, I don't know. Uh, next time, let's just say there won't be poop on the show. It'll be quality. Which Is, movie are we doing? Poop? There might be poop. Yeah, could you be never poop? know. There could be poop. It could be like Friday the Thirteenth Part uh, Three. There it's... could be fecal matter. There could be other bodily fecal fluids. Matter. We don't know. It's you don't know. You it's time for tune in. It's, it's like time that, for it's fecal the... matters with John Fecal. <laughs> Ron Brown. Yeah. It's we can't quite go to there will be poop, but we can say there can there might there will be blood though. There yes, there will be blood. <laughs> no, we're not watching there will be blood. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.